Welcome to A Well Cared For Human, the podcast that tries to convince you that you are 100% normal and an even better than okay example of the human species, despite the fact that sometimes we feel like the craziest, most incapable, or worthless creatures on the face of this planet. I'm Corey, an author, a creative, and the host of the show. Whatever you're bringing to the table today, I hope this episode proves to be a dose of inspiration for you on your quest to become a well-cared-for human. You can find the episode show notes, your free wellness blueprint, and more at awellcaredforhuman.com. And as always, thank you for listening. Hello humans, it's your host Corey, and today we're going to talk about the effects of emotional neglect, which many of us have experienced in childhood. And we're also going to look at how this emotional neglect can create a sense of what is called the fatal flaw. But let me start off by outlining what is emotional neglect. Emotional neglect is when your parents or your caregivers or whomever is taking care of you as a child is not able to provide you with emotional attunement and the support that you needed in order to properly develop a secure emotional connection and attachment as a child. And emotional attachment is actually a whole separate issue that I'll go into more detail at another time. Mostly we're just going to focus on the effects of neglect today. But essentially, as a child, in order to develop a healthy emotionality, you needed to have your emotional needs met, recognized, and affirmed by the adults around you. And so it's for this reason that emotional neglect is considered a form of emotional abuse. This kind of emotional neglect, emotional abuse can also happen in adult relationships, particularly in partnerships where one or both of the partners are emotionally abusive. As was the case with my caregivers. With my mother, she was always struggling so much with her own nervous system dysregulation, her own PTSD, her bipolar disorder, her addiction issues, that it was difficult for her to identify or take care of my own emotional needs. In fact, her emotional vulnerability often created a role reversal in our relationship, which meant that I was always trying to take care of her, to cheer her up. Sometimes when I would find her crying suddenly, my gut reaction would be to, oh, it's going to be okay, and I would try to make her laugh, or I would try to say nice things. But this is not healthy for a child to be doing regularly, to be in this forced caretaking role. And so therefore, my emotional needs were often neglected in favor of hers. But as a child, clearly I could not actually meet my mother's emotional needs. That was not within my realm of capability as a child. And in the case of my father, given his narcissistic personality disorder, he was often very upset by my emotions. He treated my emotions as a flaw, as a defect. He often called them excessive or unnecessary. If I would cry or express any kind of dismay, which is typical for children, as we know, he would tell me things like, you need to get a hold of yourself, you need to put those emotions away, you need to compartmentalize them inside you. So I was simply not allowed to express my sadness, my heartache, my vulnerability in his presence. And then also, if I expressed anger, either at someone else or at being mistreated by him, He would say something like, you don't know how good you have it. You don't know half the things that I went through from my parents when I was your age. You should just be lucky that this, this, and this didn't happen. And so he would always dismiss my experiences and try to dominate, control, or supersede them with his own 
But my parents are pretty extreme examples of emotional neglect. If your caretakers were not, quote, as bad as mine, that does not mean that you didn't suffer emotional neglect. Any caregivers who are too distracted, stressed out, struggling mentally to meet their kids' emotional needs, all of that falls under the realm of emotional neglect. And I would even go so far and be so bold as to say that capitalism (laughs) creates a society or generations of emotionally neglected kids because parents are working so hard to try to make ends meet. They're worrying so much about paying bills and keeping roofs over our heads that they simply cannot devote the time and energy they would need to help a child emotionally develop. When there are bills to pay and so little social support to make sure those needs are met, you just don't have the time to worry about something like healthy emotional development. And so for that reason, we could make an argument that our society is also perpetuating this cycle of emotional neglect to one degree or another. And the result or the effects of emotional neglect will vary from person to person, but often people develop a vague feeling that something is wrong with them, that they don't know what this is, what might be wrong with them, but they feel like they are bad, they are a bad person, or maybe that they are unlovable or unwanted. And this is an adaptive behavior developed when a child is in the emotional desert of neglect. When the resources to develop healthy emotions are simply not available, this adaption occurs, and it's necessary because it's a lot safer for a child to believe that there's something wrong with them, to blame themselves for why they're not getting their needs met, than to blame their caregivers. If you blame your caregiver, that puts your life and well-being at risk. If you believed that your caregiver, your parent, couldn't take care of you, that's really dangerous because that means it's out of your control. So an emotionally starved kid will adapt. They will internalize the neglect and blame themselves for it. Because when they do this, it means that they can fix the problem. If you're the problem, you can fix yourself. At least that's what we believe. If you could just solve this fatal flaw, if you could just change and be a better version of you, then you would be able to get what you need to survive and thrive. Then things will be okay, because taking control of yourself, improving yourself, that is within the realm of possibility. But trying to control your caregiver or to improve upon your caregiver or to try to force them to give you what they can't give you, those are impossibilities that you have no control over. Therefore, that's a lot more dangerous, that's a lot more hopeless. A child in desperate need of resources to develop emotionally will turn to themselves and say, I'm the problem because it's solvable, in theory, rather than remaining focused on the parents who lack the ability to meet the need, which is an unsolvable problem. So that's what I mean by it's an adaptive trait. And so this adaptive trait, even though very self-destructive, it is meant to help you survive your situation. It is meant to fortify you and to help you push through except that it never really solves the problem because there is nothing wrong with you. The truth is is that you have no fatal flaw. There is nothing internally wrong with you that needs to be fixed. It is simply an adaption that your little brain needed in order to survive living in an emotional desert where those needs could never be met. And because this, quote, fatal flaw that we tell ourselves when we're emotionally neglected kids there's something wrong with me. I don't know what it is, but there's something. Because of this adaption, we keep searching and stressing and striving to find the fatal flaw, and we continue to not find it. 
because it doesn't exist. It's like a whole cycle that just keeps going and going, a continuation of that feeling of not being okay, I'm not enough, something's wrong, over and over and over again. It's very cyclical. And there are other signs of emotional neglect in addition to this persistent feeling of being fatally flawed, of not being okay, of not being enough. A lack of confidence, a tendency to withdraw socially, difficult controlling your emotions, particularly because who in the world could have helped you learn how to regulate your emotions in an emotional desert? I mean, think about my parents. Which one of them was going to teach me? <laughs> how to identify an emotion, how to safely and healthily connect with that emotion, resonate with that emotion, release that emotion. Absolutely impossible. They just did not have the skills to do it for themselves, let alone guide me through it. And again, this results in all kinds of consequences. It can make it hard to develop and maintain relationships with other people, usually because of boundary issues, because when there's emotional neglect, there's definitely not emotional boundaries. There's a lot of emotional violation between caregivers and children. And also, if you're not treated well emotionally, how are you going to teach others how to treat you well emotionally? How can we form healthy emotional bonds and attachments to other people? But how do we heal emotional neglect? So let's say it has happened. We're living with the repercussions. Now we're adults, and we're just starting to maybe believe that there's nothing wrong with us, but we don't yet have the skills to develop our emotions healthily, to make healthy bonds with other people, to enforce emotional boundaries with others. So what do we do about that? How do we heal that? Well, first and foremost, this is the part where I remind you that I am not a therapist. <laughs> I'm just a person with a crazy life full of experiences, and then I can share with you some of the things that I have found to be helpful in healing my own emotional neglect. But I absolutely encourage you to find a good practitioner who can help you really deep dive into your own experiences. And there's also a great book that I read that I really enjoyed called Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents, How to Heal from Distant, Rejecting, or Self-Involved Parents. You can find it online or in your bookstore. So you could also start there and start reading about these different effects of emotional neglect and how to move past it. But as for my own journey, I started with trying to make it really clear that I had no fatal flaw, that I was not the problem, that my parents were simply incapable of providing me the emotional support that I needed because of their own mental health issues, their own abuse and trauma backgrounds. And identifying that this wasn't necessarily personal, it was just simply that they were not healed as people, and therefore they perpetuated a cycle. So first acknowledging that I had traveled through an emotional desert was very important. And also doing what I could to build this emotional distance between my parents and myself. Rejecting the idea that I was the problem, that I deserved it, that there was something wrong with me, that I was simply unlovable, unwanted. Any of those narratives that I might have picked up around the emotional abuse, putting a clear barrier in line between me and those beliefs. And you know what I did to do that? <laughs> I tell you every episode, I journaled, I meditated, I worked with a therapist, I did all the techniques that one does when they're trying to create a new internal narrative. I used my affirmations to help build up that separation clearly in my mind. And all of that slowly over time did begin to accumulate to something tangible, something I could really work with. But I won't lie, I mean, this process was in and of itself really difficult. 
because I was so emotionally loyal to my parents for a really long time. They could do no wrong in my eyes. I just love them so much and I still have those feelings, but now I have built up a place in my psyche, in my emotional landscape where I can both love them and do what needs to be done in order to protect myself and to take good care of myself. So that boundary can be built. Those walls can be built and they can be built in a way where you can still have the love for your caretakers moving freely through that barrier. Because I still love them so much, even though, you know, my mother, she's gone, she's passed. And my father, I don't speak to him, but the affection in my heart is still there. I don't think angry thoughts about him. I don't hate him. I'm not disgusted by his existence or anything that you would think I might be feeling because he is an abuser. But the reason why I'm able to occupy those two spaces of both love and self-protection without the anger and everything is because I worked to heal the emotional neglect and to build those healthy boundaries back in place, which should have been created when I was developing, but weren't. They were made in like my 30s. (laughs) They were made a little later. (laughs) But yes, so moving away from that childlike idealism, the way that we think of our parents as the sun and the moon when we're children, moving away from that to a more realistic and encompassing view of my parents certainly helped. I also went through and rewrote the narrative of no feelings allowed. My father instilled in me a lot of, it's not okay to have feelings, don't express your feelings, don't subject other people to your feelings, and if you're doing that, you're a bad person, you're a weak person, you're a crazy person. And I'm sure that these were all narratives that he either inherited through his own abusive upbringing, or he has them as a result of his narcissistic personality disorder, whichever one it is. But I had to very consciously decide that I didn't agree with that and that I didn't believe it. And then slowly, through effort and time, begin to cull those beliefs from my mind, from my psyche, so to speak. And this came with a lot of positive self-talk, like I talked about last week in the episode where I said sometimes in meditation, if anger or something comes up, I shrink my father down to what he looked like as a five-year-old kid in my mind. This is a visualization. (laughs) If you don't know what I'm talking about, this is a visualization in which I'm meditating and maybe anger or something comes up and I realize it's because I'm hearing my father's abusive words in the back of my mind. And and it's very natural for me for anger to come up as a self-protection mechanism. So when I recognize that anger, I'm usually like, okay, what am I getting mad about? What am I hearing right now? And so I'll hear his words and I will envision him as he looked because I have a photograph of him when he was a five-year-old kid. So I envision what he looked like as a little kid and I imagine him saying these terrible things. And I'm like, you know, I don't believe any of that. It's not true. So it shifts the power dynamics. It gives me the power back that I did not have as a child. I can listen to this little kid say things like, you can't have feelings. Feelings are bad. Being emotional is a weakness. And simply just tell him this visualization that I don't agree with it. I don't believe it. That in fact, all emotions are okay. Good and bad emotions. Doing a lot of positive self-talk and just rewriting my own story. That has also helped me a lot. And I can take inventory of the emotional experiences that I need to recover, that I need to reclaim, and I can do this through journaling. I can replay moments in my mind, imagining myself as an adult and what I would say to myself as a kid. So for example, maybe I will revisit a moment when I can think of my father being very verbally abusive, and I will just walk into the scene, so to speak. So there's him, and then there's 
eight, nine, ten-year-old Corey, and I just walk into the room of this scene, and, and then I talk to her and tell her the things that she needed to hear, the emotionally supportive things that she needed to hear at that time. I can be that person for myself, and obviously this is all visualization, and if this is not something you've experimented with, it probably sounds crazy, <laughs> but it's actually pretty cathartic. Do not be surprised if you try some of these visualization exercises and you find yourself absolutely bawling because that has happened to me on more than one occasion in which I go back into these very emotionally charged moments and I tell her, little Corey, everything that she should have been told in those moments. And I'll just find myself really releasing kind of the pent-up emotions of that moment. And it's pretty intense work, so, so be easy on yourself. <laughs> Maybe don't do more than, you know, one ever so often. Don't like say I'm going to do all of my emotional revisiting in a one hour meditation session. Don't do that to yourself. Go easy on yourself. But again, reclaiming your experiences, reclaiming your narratives, redoing things the proper way for yourself. And then also, I do like to use Tonglen meditation, Tonglen, T-O-N-G-L-E-N, to explore certain emotions. And I do talk about Tonglin in the meditation episode, but you can also learn a lot more about Tonglin online. Pima Chodron talks about it a lot. But Tonglin specifically is a great meditation for ventilating emotions, for fully feeling them and moving through them, to learning how to not be afraid of certain emotions. Because if you were in an emotional desert and you had to really learn how to suppress and avoid or run from your emotions, when you start opening yourself back up, to feeling these things, it can be really overwhelming, it can be really terrifying, it can be very upsetting. Because of the intensity in which you suppressed it, sometimes that's the intensity in which they come back. That was certainly some of my earlier experiences. And so I needed to feel those things in order for them to pass through me because emotions are an energy. And if you can just let the energy pass through you, that's ideal not clenching, not keeping it in your body, not storing it in your muscles or your mind or your negative experiences, just letting the energy move through you. But I just don't want anyone to be working with this heavy stuff and, you know, trigger themselves and find out just how intense those latent emotions are. And they'd be like, I don't understand why I can't get out from under this. It's because you haven't felt it. You haven't felt these things in a long time. And then other things that I tried that helped me to reconnect with my emotions after this extensive period of neglect was learning to recognize my feelings because emotional disconnect can really happen from sustained emotional neglect. So for example, for a long time, all of my feelings were registering as only anxiety or fear. That was what my emotional range had been stripped down to given my traumatic background. I could only consciously and physically register the emotions of anxiety and fear. If I was happy, I was anxious. If I was excited, I was anxious. If I was joyful, anxious. <laughs> because I did not know how to identify or process emotions. I had little to no positive experiences with these emotions because of my history. And so anytime any feeling would come up and I would start to experience something in my body, you know, our bodies have these emotional reactions, whether that be a racing heart or a lifting of the chest or a tightening of breath, whatever it is, anticipation, excitement. Whenever I would experience an emotion and then it was met with disdain or abuse or dismissal or it was ignored or pushed away, depending on where my parents were at that time or which parent I was with, then it began to really strip down and simplify my emotional base. I just did not connect with these emotions. I didn't recognize them for what they were. So it all just came across as 
fear and uncertainty, anxiousness. So it was quite a bit of deliberate effort to reconnect with these feelings, to identify, hey, right now what I'm feeling is joy. That took a lot of work to get to a place where I could say, I'm happy right now. This is joyful. I'm feeling playful right now. I'm feeling content right now because of that disconnect. So focusing on relearning what these emotions were, what situations would cause certain ones, questioning my anxiety and my fear. Am I really anxious right now or is it some other emotion and I just am scared of the emotion? (laughs) Or maybe it's not even the situation. It's the feeling I'm having that's freaking me out because I was never allowed to have feelings. And so, oh my God, what's happening? And so learning to slowly move through all that, to reconnect with that, to identify each feeling individually, to learn what they are and get comfortable enough with them so that when something arises, I'm no longer afraid of the feeling and I'm no longer afraid of expressing the feeling. All of this took a lot of time, so it did require a lot of patience. Frankly, it took me years and years to undo these adaptive patterns that I had acquired due to this emotional neglect, this emotional abuse. And another thing that I tried to do to help me work with the consequences of this emotional neglect, emotional abuse, was I started to look for the effects of that emotional neglect in my current relationships. So this was farther down the line. Obviously, first I had to work on identifying what joy was. (laughs) You know, there was a lot of work to be done first. But later, kind of farther down the line, when I started to get a handle of kind of what was going on for me in an emotional capacity, I started to get realistic with the fact of surely these adaptive patterns are presenting themselves in my relationships with other people. So starting to look at the effects of the emotional neglect in my current relationships and trying to heal those patterns as well. So I cannot salvage my relationship with my parents, right? One, because mom is dead, and two, because I don't speak with toxic dad. But I do have loving connections now with people that I care about. I have friends that I love deeply. I have a wife that I love deeply. I have a new family that I really care about. So I had to start looking at ways that I might be self-sabotaging the relationships I have now. And because I love the new connections I have and because I want to keep those new connections, I had to be willing to give a really honest assessment of my behaviors, of what I was doing in these relationships that might be sabotaging them. And one example of this is for the very, God, I don't even know, six years of my relationship with Kim, I believe. or Maybe we could say 10 years <laughs> I don't know. know, It was a while. But anytime we would get into a fight, it would trigger a flight reflex in me. So I was having this entire emotional cyclone. And I was like, well, I guess we're going to break up now. I have to leave. I wonder how much a divorce costs. (laughs) Like I would just completely spiral and be trying to eject myself from the relationship of something that she thought was a pretty run of the mill dispute. You know, we just didn't agree on something. It was not, in fact, divorce worthy. It was just common rupture in a relationship that could be repaired with apologies and a new plan for how we were going to do something. That was it. But because of my background and because I had that feeling of the fatal flaw that something was wrong with me, that I was unlovable, I would try to run. That was my default mechanism was I just needed to leave now. I couldn't be loved now. It was over. And so that was a pattern. That was an adaptive pattern, this kind of flight response. And so I had to get honest with myself about, well, why do I do that? Where is that coming from? What can I do to not do that anymore? So that's just one example. But, you know, 
depending on what kind of relationship you're in or who your friends are, you know, you can look at these relationships and ask yourself, especially in emotionally tense moments, what is happening? And are you doing anything that might be an adaptive behavior that came from this place of emotional neglect? And then what are you going to do to correct that behavior to stop yourself from doing it if it's hurting your relationship with this person that you care about? So there's a lot of work, unfortunately, (laughs) connected to emotional neglect because it's very destructive to both yourself and your well-being and then also to your ability to make good loving connections to other people down the road. But I hope that everything I touched on today was a good primer, just raising your awareness about the idea that there is something called emotional neglect, that it might be making you think there's something wrong with you when there's not, and that you can identify and correct the adaptive behaviors that you adopted in order to survive your situation. So don't stop here, dear human. So please go and learn more about emotional neglect, about emotionally immature parents, if you feel like this might be something you're dealing with. Because that is all I have for you today. (laughs) Just this itty bitty tiny primer on the subject. But I really do hope that if you're someone who feels like you might have an emotional neglect wound, that you give yourself the care that you need to heal that wound because it's probably holding you back and making you miserable in a lot of ways. And I would really hate to see anybody stuck in that place because it's a very hard place to be in. Absolutely. And I want so much better for you. So please, please, please do something for yourself. As hard as that might seem, I promise that no matter how bad your background is, emotional neglect can be healed. Absolutely, emotional neglect can be healed. So please, please, please do that for yourself. That work is 100% worth it. Otherwise, before I sign off, I'd like to remind you that I have opened up the show to questions, so if you have a specific question or situation you want me to offer my thoughts on or experience on, you can email me at cory at coryamstrom.com, and that email will be in the show notes of this episode as well. And of course, I will be back next week with another episode of A Well-Cared-For Human, and until then, please take good care of you. This episode of A Well-Cared-For Human was written and produced by me. Corey Marie. The music was by Late Night Feeler and Esther Abrami. If you like what I'm doing here, please consider visiting my Patreon. For as little as a dollar a month, you get early ad-free access to the episodes, as well as a monthly patrons-only Q&A, bonus videos, and more. Not to mention that your Patreon support lets me know that you find value in the show and want it to continue. You can find me on Patreon by visiting www.patreon.com forward slash If you can't support the show financially, that is okay. You can still subscribe to the show, leave a review of the show, and recommend the show to your friends, not just the neurotic ones. All of this helps so much. And as always, thank you for listening.